I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever experienced mandatory fun? Forced fun, sometimes they call it. Mandatory fun, I got to see this firsthand. I was standing out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, surrounded by about 30 to 40 soldiers. Thursday afternoon, we were all starting to get hungry, so we started up the barbecue grill out in the middle of nowhere. But we figured out it was important to bring charcoal, so we brought that out there. We were getting a whole big feast set up. And right about that time, they all got a call over the radio that said they get to go home early for the long weekend. But they're stuck out in the middle of the Mojave Desert with coals starting to warm up, and they couldn't go anywhere. And so I heard them say to themselves, looking at each other, wishing that they could go home, and saying, well, I guess it's mandatory fun time, gentlemen. And they had to enjoy that barbecue, despite really wanting to be somewhere else. Is that what service to the Lord is like? Does, does God even want us to have fun in this life? And if he does call us to have fun, if he does call us to enjoy our lives, is it sort of a forced fun? Well, rejoice in the Lord always, if I have to. I know there's a time passing, I think, where a lot of people don't remember Ken Leach, but there's enough people here who remember one of our former preachers who know, who know that he used to say that some people, some Christians, look like they've been sucking on a dill pickle. And haven't you seen those kinds of people in your life? Haven't you seen those kinds of people who, they're servants of the Lord, they're following Jesus, but they don't look very happy about it. They look like they're kind of just having to force themselves into going through the mandatory fun until they finally get to go home someday. And I'm not saying that this world and everything that's in this world is, uh, is great and wonderful. I'm not saying that there's nothing bad or negative to, to, to experience in this life. But God does want us to live lives of enjoyment. Don't you see that? Don't you see how God wants us to have a good, fulfilling, satisfying life? No, he's not going to put us up in a mansion, and he's not going to keep us free from all pain and suffering, but he does want us to live well while we're here. And of course, if you want to think about going anywhere in the New Testament, at least, that's full of joy and excitement, where are you going to go? Well, you're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You're going to go on to the whole book of Philippians, really, where Paul there, despite being in prison and going through a lot of stuff, he is super excited. He is full of joy, and we see what he says here in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And a, kind of a long time ago now, I started a little bit of a series where I wanted to look at things that are good. What is good? And how do we fill up our minds with those kinds of things? Because that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Fill up your mind. Think about things that are good. Think about those things. Yeah, and in the next verse, he does tell us to do good things, of course. Doing good, doing the right things for the right reasons is always important. But let us first start 
by filling our hearts and our minds and our thoughts with good things. And so we've been looking here in this little bit of a series about what is good. What is good? And, and so many things in the very first sort of lesson in this series, I was talking about the gift of creation, how God gave us nature around us and all of the amazing creation that God has blessed us with. And he has also given us the spirit and the ability to work ourselves that we can create. And then he's called us to rest, which is also a gift. God blesses us with so many things in terms of gifts. And he also calls us to be such exemplary and outstanding holy people in calling us to be virtuous and to live virtuous lives, kind of like Sean talked about not too many weeks ago. But as we think about how God wants us to be good and not only be good, but think about good things, Let's talk this morning about the gift he gives us in the gift of joyfulness. God does not want us to be stoic and grumpy, unfeeling people who don't seem like they're excited to have been freed from the slavery of our sins. You think about what we just remembered in Jesus' death on the cross, and you think about how we take that thought and that remembrance every day into a joyful attitude, if we can couple the things that Greg just talked about with this lesson, how we take that remembrance into the week by being so incredibly, just indescribably excited about how my sin, which I am so sad and upset about, has been forgotten by God because Jesus died on the cross. How excited are you now? How joyful are you now? Why would you ever walk around being pessimistic, being skeptic of, uh, of all the things that are going on? Why would you ever just be a gloomy Gus when you can see that the biggest problem you have ever had in your life was taken care of for free? The free gift of God and his grace leads us to lives of joyfulness. And that's what I want to talk about for a little bit. This might be a weird lesson, because I don't think we talk about some of these things enough, and so let's just spend a, a few minutes thinking about filling our hearts with good things, with what is good, as we read there in Philippians 4, verse 8. And let's go to Luke chapter 15. I think as you go to Luke 15, it's really important for us to see what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. There is a problem in the beginning of Luke 15 in verses 1 through two, where basically there's Pharisees and scribes seeing Jesus as he's around tax collectors, he's associating with sinners, and they don't like that very much. And so they start grumbling to themselves, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he begins to tell them three stories. And of course, we all remember these stories, but let's just focus on maybe the first one just a little bit here in verse three. He says, so he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now I want to think about this verse, these verses for just a few minutes. 
But I think it's so important for us to see what Jesus is saying here to these scribes and Pharisees who could not, who would not celebrate over sinners who were coming to know God, who were coming to know the Son of God. They could not rejoice. They could not be excited. They refused to celebrate, and that is what I want us to think together for just a little bit about. I think one of the great gifts of God in our lives is the gift of celebration. It makes God so happy, and it glorifies our Father in heaven when we gratefully acknowledge all of his blessings together and praise him and thank him and just celebrate over what he's done for us. I don't know when the last time I heard a lesson about celebration, and maybe it's been too long, but God wants us to celebrate. Don't you see that? Throughout the Bible, celebration is a huge part of what God wants his people to do. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, all of those feasts and the remembrances, you remember the the feast that they would have even in the Passover as they're supposed to remember and they're supposed to celebrate the deliverance from Egypt. And they're supposed to remember and celebrate the deliverance through the wilderness. And all of these things that they're supposed to remember and celebrate, it made God happy when they remembered and celebrated what he had done for them. And it makes God happy today when we celebrate together over all of the things that God has done for us in those good things that he has done. And of course, you can remember the greatest celebration maybe that we do every week, which was remembering Jesus' death on the cross, but there's so many other opportunities to celebrate. You think about the scripture reading that Chad read for us in Revelation 19, verses 1 to 5, actually really all of Revelation 19, if you look at this picture that John sees, this vision of, of basically heaven as it's presented to him, as he's writing all these things down, what is he seeing? He's seeing celebration. People surrounding the throne of God, people shouting and singing, people just praising God with everything that they have. They're shouting together in celebrating and I guarantee you will never celebrate anything like that picture of celebration in heaven. Well, until we all get there. Until we all find ourselves at that right side of judgment, we will never celebrate anything like they're celebrating in that picture in Revelation 19. And that, that's so encouraging, isn't it? Now, of course, if you are, like we just talked about, the, the, the brother or sister who can't stop sucking on a dill pickle, well, are you going to enjoy celebrating for all eternity? Because this is something that we're going to be doing. And if, and if you're just a party pooper, then are you going to be the kind of person who really wants to just shout praises all eternity long? We need to celebrate life's good things now. It's so important that we do that. It's so important that we are positive, that we look forward to things. And of course, there, as we look at, at Luke chapter 15, the story of the lost sheep is one. The story of the lost coin is another. And the story of the prodigal son clearly is the third one there. And, and what we see in all of these stories 
is how when the person found what, that, what was lost, they themselves rejoiced, and then they called everyone else around to come and rejoice with them. What do we rejoice over? I mean, it doesn't have to be like some deep theological rejoicing. Like, what do we rejoice over? You rejoice over a prayer that was answered, somebody who, who's back from the hospital, had a favorable, favorable diagnosis. You rejoice over a young person who gets up and leads a brand new song that nobody's ever heard before and finally kind of kicks us in gear to maybe start learning some new songs. You rejoice over somebody who, who says a kind word. You rejoice over an opportunity that a family found out that they were pregnant. Rejoice over all kinds of things. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes, we weep with those who weep. But when we see others rejoicing, guess what we get to do? We get to rejoice too. And you know what? That is hard because sometimes our situation may not feel like we should be rejoicing. But what happens when we see somebody else who's worthy of rejoicing with, who has something in their life that that is, is going well, we can rejoice with them, even though we may not feel like rejoicing very much in the moment. God wants us to live lives of fulfillment. And I know that because Ecclesiastes, the wise writer, talks a lot about what our life is about. And of course, he tried really everything. He was so rich and, and was able to do so many things. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, Solomon says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? God blesses us as a gift. As he goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than they be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. God blesses us with the gift of enjoyment. I know we don't think about that very often. And we don't think about celebration as being a good gift of God. You know, and a lot of times we'll think about the people who take celebration too, too far, right? They party too hard. They party without self-control. They get themselves into a lot of trouble. But you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to celebrate together. And he wants us to celebrate together in, in important, big, substantial things, but even in the smallest of things, even in the smallest of victories or accomplishments, we rejoice together because God has blessed us with the very least, the freedom from our sins. And we get to rejoice every day. We get to celebrate every day. And so maybe you don't think about celebrating very often. Maybe you don't think about an opportunity to join together with your brothers and sisters and, and, and be excited about something. But when we fill our hearts with what's good, when we think about good things, as Philippians 4 verse 8 talks about there, one of the great things we can think about is God's blessing to us to live a joyful life in spite of it all, in spite of everything. There, as we, as we mentioned there in, in Philippians 4, Paul is not going through a great situation, being in prison, being chained up. But he's excited because he knows what's really happening behind the scenes. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a 
an advertising person, but I know one. I have a really good friend, obviously. Somebody, many of you know him, who's an advertising person. And I think about marketing quite a lot. Here's a question. When you come and you bring, bring a, a, a friend of yours or somebody, come to church with me. Come, come worship God with me on Sunday. And they show up and they see a bunch of people who looks like they've been sucking on a dill pickle. They see a bunch of un, unfun, unexciting kind of people. Do you, is that good marketing? Is that who we really are? I mean, we don't have to go crazy. We don't have to go, again, outside of the bounds of what we've been authorized to do. But can't we, can't we be excited about worship? Can't we be excited about being together, being here? And, and I'm, I'm not saying that we don't. I, I really believe that we're very good at that. We're pretty, sometimes you have to actually get you guys to like really quiet down because you won't stop celebrating. But think about these things because God wants us to live lives of joy. He wants us to celebrate. And so maybe you think about this. How are you expressing your joy and enthusiasm to those people around you? You might think and you might say, well, I'm a very joyful person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm celebrating things in life, but if nobody ever sees that, are you really joyful? And you might feel it on the inside, but if you're not letting it come out on, on your face, if you're not letting it come out and letting people see your joy and let, letting them see your excitement, are you really that way? It's just some things to think about. And so let's move on to the second point here, which comes from Mark 14, verse 26. And, and I think this is, you know, in really the sober and somber scene there in the upper room as Jesus and his disciples are instituting the Lord's Supper, they're taking the Passover, all of these things that they're doing, they're having some serious, deep conversations. Right before they go out, right before they leave, what do they do? What is the last thing that they do? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So the second point here about joyful things that God wants us to to think about and fill our hearts with. The second part here is actually about singing. And I was thinking about this point in the lesson long, long before Scott came. And I think Scott and what he said and all the things that we did during that week when he came and we, we sang together and we, we studied about singing, I think this all really fits together nicely with this point. Because singing is also such a great blessing from God. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that a, a God who made us so that we could both think about the words of a song and also be emotionally touched by the melody and the, and the feeling of a song, a God who made us with that kind of a makeup wants us to worship him that way. He wants us not only to worship him that way, but again, to sing for all eternity like that. How cool is that? How cool, how exciting is it to think about what God has blessed us with in singing? Singing is so important. It's one of the great ways of expressing our joy. And singing, it's, that's exactly what it does. It expresses everything that's inside of us, what we believe, what we feel, what we decide. When we sing these songs, we definitely teach each other. We definitely reinforce the things that we believe, as we sing these songs and hymns and spiritual songs, we are singing words that are deep and meaningful. 
we are singing things that help just basically put the spackle, put the, the concrete reinforcements around our faith and who we are. And isn't it amazing that one of the last things that Jesus does with his disciples before he goes to the cross is not institute the Lord's Supper, is not washing their feet, is not talking to them about all the, the difficulties that are coming up. One of the very last things he does in that upper room is sing a hymn. I don't think that's a throwaway verse in Mark 14. I don't think that's just a, oh, yeah, yeah, and then he did this one thing, moving on, moving on. Huh. If you know anything about Mark, Mark doesn't put anything throwaway in there because he's really trying to move through stuff pretty quick. He's like a rock rolling down the hill. His gospel is just packed end to end of adventure and excitement. And there at, in that sort of the end of that account in the upper room, what do they do? They do something important. They sing together. They sing a hymn. And why did they do that? You know, to be a fly on the wall, to be a fly on the wall there in the upper room, to just imagine what that sounded like. A whole bunch of dudes sitting around singing together in an upper room. I think it would have been fascinating to know what did they sing? You know, knowing, knowing what they were just about to do, knowing where Jesus was going, you had to imagine it was probably, well, maybe a, a, a prophetic song. Maybe it was a song that, that was sort of sad or maybe had some, some real thought and depth to it. Maybe it was, a, I, I don't know, maybe it was an exciting song to kind of like counteract what was going I don't know what they sang. I don't know what they sounded like when they sang, but I know that they sang because it's important. And Jesus did it with his disciples. Jesus wanted to sing together with his disciples. And so I think it's important for us to see the importance of singing and how singing really is just such an integral part of our lives and who we are. And I can remember even from the earliest ages, singing being such an important part of my home life. I was not a morning person growing up, and I hated being up super early in the morning, so mom, just to terrorize me and get me out of bed, would bust my door open and start singing at me, and it was so annoying, <laughs> but it worked. And you know, my family now, the girls, they just love to sing to the point where you have to almost just ask them to stop because they're like trying to fight each other with harmonies and all kinds of stuff and they, they know all the words to songs and like singing just at a, at a non-biblical, like non-spiritual level, singing is so important to us. Music is so important to us. And we see here, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, we see the importance of what we do together. We sing with the spirit and we sing with the mind we sing with the spirit we sing with the mind we know what we're singing we understand the words that we're singing but we're also singing with the feeling and i love how singing does that singing can couple that that feeling the emotion with the with the words and the rationality and all the logic behind it you know, sometimes it's hard for some of us real overly logical people to connect the emotion to things. And sometimes people who are so wrapped up in the emotion have a hard time connecting to the, to the meaning of things. And I love how singing just fuses those things together. So that even if 
like Mitch or like Tom Bourne, you're terrible at singing. Sorry. <laughs> even if, even if like the, the notes don't come easily to you, it's still meaningful. It's still powerful. And you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there. I know there's been a lot of talk about like, oh, the quality of our singing and how cool our singing is and making sure our singing is amazing. And while all those things are important, if it's coming from in here, I don't think God cares what it sounds like. If it's coming from in here. And when we sing with the spirit and we sing with the mind also, we're doing, we're doing a good thing. We're doing what God has blessed us with, the opportunity, the, the ability to sing. And I think, you know, as we think about singing and what singing brings to us, I think singing is such an important part of our worship, and it's such an important part of our day-to-day -day lives. As you think about how in James 5, verse 13, how he says, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praises. Whenever you're happy, whenever you're excited about something, you get to sing. And it's like portable wisdom that you carry with you and you can just remind yourself of the important things. Because that's what songs do, right? They get stuck in your head. Sometimes they don't go away. And spiritual songs, when those get stuck in your head, man, it can do some good. And it's why I think when Paul in Romans 15 was dealing with a really difficult situation, as he just got done in Romans 14 talking about a really challenging interaction between brethren and how divisions can happen, what does he start to, to kind of fuse two groups of people back together with? With singing. With the ability, with one voice, as he says in Romans chapter 5, verse, or Romans chapter 15, verse 5, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think he's just talking about singing there, but doesn't it fit? That harmony that we can experience together as a congregation, we are all very different people, right? We're all, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different situations in our lives, but we, with harmony, some better harmony than others, we can glorify God together with one voice. It's something we can do that unites us together. And so, when we think about good things, I think singing is such a huge part of, of the gifts that God has blessed us with to be a joyful people. So how have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs impacted your life? Have there been, song, have there been times in your life where, where a song hit just a different way? Or, or it meant something to you that touched you and maybe you broke down or maybe it encouraged you and built you up? Now, there, there's so many times where songs can do that and change our, our attitude and our, our mentality. Can you imagine the new song someday that none of us have ever known, we've never learned it, we've never sung it before, but can you imagine that day when we're going to get to sing together a new song around the throne? This is one of those lessons where it's hard not to smile, right? It's hard not to just be excited because God has blessed us not only with the ability and the opportunities to celebrate. He's blessed us not only with the ability to sing together, but here's the last thing I want to focus on, and it's in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, where he talks about how we have, as like a body, we have different functions, right? 
Romans chapter 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on there to talk about prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation and contribution and leading and acts of mercy. Notice what Paul is doing there in Romans 12. He's describing to us all how God has blessed each and every one of us individually with talent. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. And one of the most joyful things that I have ever seen is when someone gets to use what they're good at. Isn't it frustrating when somebody forces you to try to do something that you're not good at? Oh, man. Like, you know, playing the piano. I'm not good at playing the piano. And, and if, I, if somebody sat me down and tried to make me play the piano, that would be just laborious, right? I would not enjoy that. But if somebody wants to, to set me up in front of a computer and let me write some code for a while, bring it on. <laughs> you know, for, for all of us, we have different skills. We have different abilities. And we all get to use those things. Yes, we get to use those in a spiritual sense, in our service together, right? Each and every one of us, like that passage in Romans 12 talks about, we have all been given different functions, right? And we're not the same. We don't all do the same thing. We don't all act the same way. We don't all have the same background. But God was so wise and is so wise that he has given us the diversity to work together, that he has blessed this good world with, and he's filled it with the kind of diversity that can make us really shine. We as a congregation can do some amazing things because everyone is not up here. <laughs> Imagine what would happen if everyone was up here, everyone was a preacher, if everyone was, a, was, was standing up in the pulpit right now, our singing would be terrible. Right? If that was all of our talents, if all of our abilities was to, to teach or to, to preach or to, you know, whatever, the other functions that we would have would suffer. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about there in Romans 12. We all have different functions. We all have different abilities. And as he goes on, really, to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that that's a cause of some division. That we better watch out that we don't start looking at other people and what they do and look down on them because what they do is not what we do. Right? And that could be easy for us to do. It could be easy for us, like the hand, to, to look askew at the function of the foot, right? or, the, or the eye to look sort of askance at like what the hand is doing. And, and that's not what, how we should function. We each have different roles. We each have different opportunities. But how amazing is it that God in his wisdom, built the church with such diversity. And how awesome is it that even though you may not do some like huge public act of service, like you can change somebody's entire day by just writing them a card or shooting them a text message or like a DM on social media or whatever. Like the act of kindness, showing mercy, being generous, being a good leader, all these things that, that we can do together, that we can serve each other with, and that is, by the way, the whole point of it all, right? First Peter chapter 4, 
as Peter's really talking about these gifts as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where he goes on to talk about, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. First of all, where does the gift come from? Of course, it comes from God. What are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to serve each other. And isn't that exactly what the body does for, for other members of the body? Your hand is constantly doing things that are in the rest of the body's best interest, right? Your hand is not like punching yourself in the face. If your body is working correctly, you wouldn't even think about doing that. Your hand is doing things that support and help the rest of your body. And that's what we do together. We use our talents together. We use the things that we're good at together. You know, maybe we're not the greatest fill in the blank. And maybe we're working on that. Maybe we're trying to grow in those things. Maybe like our goals are talking about here, maybe we're trying to be more spiritually mature and develop ourselves in certain areas. But you know, what are you good at? And can you take that talent that God has blessed you with and serve other people with it? You think about a joyful church. Think about a joyful people, all made up of diverse backgrounds, all doing what they can what they know how to do and what they're really good at to serve each other. I, don't, I can't think of a more joyful way to be as a congregation where all of us are functioning and working well together. Isn't it cool when we get to see someone using their talents and you get to say to somebody, hey, I really appreciate what you did. I couldn't have done that or I, I wouldn't have even thought to do that, but man, that was just so awesome. You know, there are people here who are amazing at like even fixing cars right? how could fixing cars be a blessing to the Lord's Church well if somebody can't fix their own car and you go and help them I mean, boom there you go so there are people here who can cook I mean just amazing meals maybe not so amazing meals but people here who can cook and you know how to do that and who can use those skills I mean bring it on we all have so many things that we can do, that we can serve each other with, and isn't it awesome when we get to see that on display? You know, you'd like to think that we all are good at, at something unique, and, and maybe our gifts overlap with each other, and maybe we get to sort of, but let, let's never ever pit those gifts against each other, right? Because that's not the point of it. The point of it is to say, well, you're really good at that, I'm also good at that, let's work together on being good at that together so that we can all do things that build up the body of Jesus. And I, I think, you know, as we think about talents, how often do you just stop and appreciate how God has made this world, but how God has made this church, and how he's blessed us all with individual gifts and, and talents and things? How often do you just stop and appreciate that? Because he's given us so much. He's blessed us with so many things, and all of the gifts, all of the talents and abilities that we have, we can use it together to serve each other and to serve the Lord. So just thinking about some of these things and the gift of joyfulness that God wants us to, to appreciate. Don't take this as like a mandatory fun kind of sermon, right? Like I don't, I don't want anybody walking out here and you know, slapping on a smiley face while really inside they're not feeling it. Like, Observe what God has done. Stop and remember it. 
stop and just, just let it sink in. Like Philippians 4 verse 8 talks about. Just fill your heart with it. And as you do that, I hope that you will see on the outside, you are just a more pleasant person. Because yes, there are things that are going on in the world. There are difficulties all around us. Things are falling apart all around us. And the glass may be half full. But you know, after everything is said and done, as we've already mentioned, Jesus died for your sins. And that is the, the greatest source of joy that any of us will ever experience. And how cool is it that we all get to enjoy this life. We get to enjoy this life. We get to live a life while we're here, while we're sojourning toward our heavenly home someday with a smile on our face knowing that God loves us. God is blessing us constantly. He is giving us everything we need to function in this life. And there is nothing we will ever require that God has not already provided to us. How cool is it that we serve a God like that? And so, if you're not a child of the Lord's, maybe you don't have a reason to be joyful. Maybe you don't have a reason to, to celebrate and rejoice and sing praises to God because you're not a child of his yet. Please understand that that is a situation that you can easily remedy by just thinking seriously about your sins. You gotta think seriously about where you're at. I know it'd be really easy to just say that there's like four or five steps to, for you to take to come to the Lord, but you just have to get real with your situation. And you have to understand that you are lost without Jesus. You are lost if you don't let go of your old life of sin. You, you're lost if you refuse to bury that old person. Get into that water and rise up a new creation. You are lost. And if you don't want to be lost anymore, we can help you with that. We can help baptize you. We can, we can hear your confession that Jesus is the Son of God before men. And we can walk beside you every single day joyfully on that road that leads to eternal life someday. Please come as we stand and sing.